Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm very excited today to have the founder of Scale Time joining us, where they help agency owners get back lots of time in their calendar on average over 30 hours per week of time through helping optimize people, process, and profits. We're going to nerd out today. And so with that, thank you, Juliana Marilanda, for joining us on the show. Appreciate you being here. I am so excited to geek out with you today and, you know, hopefully get people into action. Likewise. So the topic du jour is really about the business plateau that I think we've both seen so many founders run into. You get the agency off the ground, you start selling things, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I still have so much of the work that I need to do. How do we take this thing that I've created and create scale? So we're going to be diving into that today. But before we do, I want to give you an opportunity in your own words to describe what you do and who you serve. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we really focus on systems and processes for agencies um, of the, like the six, seven and eight figure mark. Um, and like our whole jam is for advocating for owner freedom. We really want you to get that time back because whether that's time with your family, time to grow the business, time to start your second business, which we see a lot of, um, which is really exciting. Um, you have that and empowering the team performance, right? Because it's not just about, hey, I'm gonna delegate all this stuff um, off my plate, you know, which can sometimes look more like abdication instead of delegation. Um, and then I have no visibility. I don't know what the team is doing. Um, you know, and then things are off the rails and it's Lord of the Flies. We really want to make sure that the team is empowered to execute, manage, oversee, um, and make sure that the operations can functionally thrive without you. And this is something we talk about a lot internally that every business really the founder is looking at some kind of an exit and i think that often gets confused with selling the business but of course that doesn't have to be the case it could just be time freedom and financial freedom and not essentially being a linchpin in the business but if that wasn't the objective then the person wouldn't have started the business in the first place they would have just gotten a job and so there are things conditions that are need to be in place in order for those kinds of exits to be possible and what's interesting is the criteria is basically the same you want to sell the business or you want to just like not um have it crater if you get hit by a bus the things that need to be true are very similar it has to be profitable has to have good processes have to have good people has to allow you to you know step out and not have the whole thing fall apart so i'm excited to dig into all of this today so the first thing i want to talk about is what are some of the brick walls that you see clients run into as they transition from you know six to seven figure or seven to eight figure um let's describe those plateaus and what they look like absolutely um and and I would say sort of the, the first rush for, for any owner is to decide that they no longer want to be a solo or a solo with like, you know, a group of freelancers, right? So once you make the decision to quote unquote, go legit, um, 
<laughs> as an agency owner, right? Like the first real mark is like, I'm gonna make it to a million. Um, and there's like a rush dash to this million. Um, and and what I have found with so many people that come to us over at Skill Time is that there's a stuckness around 1.3. And and I talk about this because it's really funny because people are like, 1.3? And I'm like, yeah, it's like, well, like you get to the million and you're just kind of above it and you learn how to sustain it. Um, but, you know, and then you plateau. And the reasons why is because there, there's a couple things. First of all, the take-home um, from like around 250, 300K to a million isn't that much different. So you really gotta have, you know, some level of vision or impact or whatnot to get beyond that. Um, cause you're working harder, you're employing people, you have more headaches, your sanity is like questionable and you're not making any much money. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? Um, so and the 1.3 is is usually due to the fact that you've delegated your execution for the most part. Most most of the time you've, you know, or or most of your execution. Um, and now you're dealing with collaboration, right? So it's, you know, now we get into the place where things need to get streamlined because you may or may not have spent, you know, a good eye on your profitability, right? Um, process may or may not have been a thing. Um, you know, you you probably have some things in place, right? So we get a lot of people who are like, oh man, you know, I'm a, I read the checklist manifesto and I'm a convert, right? So they'll have checklists. Um, or, you know, they'll have, they're like, yeah, my tech stack is on point. So they have tech, right? But they may not be optimizing it, right? So, so you get into a place with a lot of ish. I have this ish. I have that ish. And so that's the kind of the first point where we now need to, first of all, put in collaboration and quality, right? And so that's kind of the first step of like, we, we need to standardize our systems for how we do things. Um, so not everyone's doing their own thing, right? And, and you can get there with you know, a really talented visionary who knows how to sell, um, and a team that's been with you for quite some time and, and just get her done. Right. And I've seen it time and time again, but can you do it profitably and scalably? That's the other thing, right? Like at that point is how do we make these things repeatable? Um, and then at like, if you get to the $3 million mark, like you've, you figured out how to make things repeatable to a certain degree. Um, and now you, you need management, right? You, you need management, you need, um, you need people to, to be able to actually do account management. Well, um, you need, um, people to put out fires other than you, right? Because at that point, what we see is we've got really great teams, but the owner's still like the biggest point of failure. Right. And if someone's out, right, like, oh, my best account manager's out. Someone got sick. Someone, you know, got COVID. Someone's on vacation. Someone decided to, you know, um, go live their life in Argentina for whatever reason, <laughs> like, which happens in this crazy job market. Um, you're it. You're stepping in because the owner's still the person that knows how to do everything. So it's interesting because almost every, anyone that I've talked to that's seen enough agencies, very, very similar kind of breaking points in scale. And so we kind of see the exact same thing, right? 
um, up to that 1.3 mark. The thing that I think about is, well, that's like you probably have between six and maybe nine or 10 people on your team. So that's the point where you as a single founder cannot be like your ability to be the director, the person that everybody reports to starts to break down at that kind of a head count, which is indicative of why you run into these problems. And probably you can't subsidize all the mistakes with your evenings and weekends anymore. Your ability to do that is, <laughs> has kind of been eroded. So that I see the same thing. And then 3 million, you're exactly right. First layer of management. If they don't have clarity, if they don't have process, they don't have, you know, some visibility into numbers, how are they going to be empowered to make decisions? And how are you going to be able to let go and completely remove yourself from client work? And then to the eight figure mark, you know, we're starting to talk about, you know, VPs and C-suite type, um, you know, structures, and, and that is a whole other transition. So I can attest to those being the plateaus that I see as well for very similar reasons. So let's talk about why people get stuck at those stages. So starting at the first one, kind of transition from being um, an expert with some helpers into a business, which is right around that one, $1.3 million mark, um, building a team, having that function become standardized. What is kind of the first rung in the ladder that you need to solve at that stage to get through that first plateau? Yeah, so in order to get to through the first plateau, um, it's, you know, you're you're going from offloading tasks and projects to really outloading, you know, offloading outcomes and results. Um, So how do we, you know, start to and, and I think technology is really important here because it creates accountability, visibility measurability, is that a word? I think so. Um, repeatability, <laughs> right? And so, and, and a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, you know, we're using Asana, we're using ClickUp, we're using Monday um, from a project management standpoint or from a CRM standpoint. Yeah, we've got Pipedrive, we've got Copper, we've got HubSpot, whatnot, right? But it's not being used in a standardized way, right? So it's not just having the tech, it's how do we communicate as an organization um, so that, there's progress um, and not interruption, right? Because there's there's two sides of this where it's like, ah, I don't want to get dinged, ringed, pinged all day, right? Um, as the owner, because you're trying to get work done and, and that feels like, you know, some kind of delusional oasis um, of actually being able to get work done as the owner. So how do we create collaboration, especially nowadays where, where teams are um, so much more remote than they ever have been? Um, and, and create structures around that, right? Like, you know, like, are there agendas to team meetings, right? Like, what are we doing in team meetings? Are team meetings actionable, right? It's, it's the standard, like, could this be an email, you know, or are you using this to build culture and progress? Um, so, so I think that's a big one. Like, how are you using your systems and how are they communicating with each other, right? So if you have a project management, are you using templates? Has the pieces of the business that are repeatable, like, are there checklists for that? Are there templates for that? Can people track, right? Um, do we have dashboards to be able to zoom out and then zoom in when there's an issue as opposed to going line item by line item because no one's got time for that, right? Especially as owners. Because a lot of the times owners are like, ah, you know, I really love my whiteboard. And I'm like, yeah, I do too. 
<laughs> and the reason why we love our whiteboards is because they give us the high level view and the milestones instead of the nitty gritty crap. Like we don't want to go in there. So my antidote to being in the nitty gritty crap is like, let's create some dashboards for you. But in order for you to be able to have dashboards, you need your team to actually be bought in, you know, tracking the stuff, changing the status updates, you know, making sure that there's like time tracking or deliverables or, you know, actual deadlines, not guidelines, um, so that you can, you know what's happening, right? You have that oversight and that overview. Um, you know, same thing with CRMs. Like, are we, you know, if you, if you're at that level, you may have a coordinator, you may have someone who's like helping you with all of the, the follow-up and things like that, because again, most of us don't want to be doing that. Um, but are they inputting the stuff, right? So, so do we have the inputs to be able to get the visibility? Yeah. And so there's a couple of things I want to double click on there. And the first is to your point, like we see this all the time. It's what we do, right? People come in and they're like, yeah, we're trying, like, we, we can't see any of our metrics. And you take one look at their tooling and you can see right away why it is because yeah, every project manager sets projects up slightly differently. The same task is named a slightly different thing from one project to the next. The client name is slightly different from one system to the next. And so it's like, no wonder it's hard for you to get a report that looks at multiple projects or tries to look at a pattern across these deliverables or across these departments. There is no structure to the data. And there's like, it's, it's just not for whatever reason, it's not a way that people think like, well, I want to be able to see this metric and there's, it's like, that's where the thought ends. There's not a question of like, so what needs to be true about my data for that metric to be possible? But that is so important. And a little bit of structure goes such a long way at that juncture. It's not rocket science. It doesn't have to be super elaborate, super detailed, two, three levels of hierarchy that are standardized can completely change the game in terms of uh, the ability for you to see stuff and track patterns and create repeatability. And so I think that that's a really important one is to really kind of sit back and consider like, okay, what are the things that as a team we need to start to make more consistent? And then how does that tie into not only how we do things, but how we set things up in the tools? Um, I think that's really important. And then you mentioned process. And one of the challenges that I want to touch on here is I think one of the traps that people fall into at this stage is to your point earlier, there are parts of the business that are repeatable. And then often there's other parts of the business where it's like, we still don't really know what we're doing here, but we're kind of figuring it out. And I think that there's a tendency to want to over-document everything. And people tend to not really be able to separate out like what's a mature process that we can create really good detailed documentation around and what's not that mature of a process. And how do I document that piece? I'm curious, what's your take on navigating some of that uh, obscurity when it comes to documenting things that you know, maybe aren't quite set in stone and are likely to change or are going to be iterative in nature. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things it's, I, I think there's, there's a couple of points there, right? One progress over perfection, um, especially for the creative types, right? They're like, ah, I want to make it perfect. Oh, there's no perfect, right? Because, um, you know, something's going to change. A client's going to do something, you know, that's going to drive you nuts. Um, the algorithm's going to, you know, have another phase, right? Like, so, so we have to just be comfortable with the fact that the processes are always iterative. But for me, I would say you create, you standardize, and then you optimize, right? And so the name of the game is at least getting things to be standardized, um, so that you can continuously optimize um, as as a group, 
right? And you might hire someone and they come in and they're like, oh man, you know, have you thought about doing it this way? And you're like, oh, that's awesome, right? Now we have to get the rest of the team to get that standardization as you're optimizing. Um, now, as far as, you know, not to get too like project manage right? <laughs> um, but there's a difference between like waterfall and, you know, agile, right? So if you have processes that are pretty, you know, pretty set, in, and you're making bank on them and they work, right? And and it feels like, you know, everyone like can track it and, and you can train on it and it's and it's awesome. That's the stuff you templatize. And then there's the stuff that you're trying that's, you know, and, and that stuff can always be optimized, right? We're tweaking and, you know, making sure that we're up on all the latest and greatest. Then there's stuff that you're like trying. Um, and, and you're like, well, I don't know, we should, we should, you know, consider maybe doing this as a service offering or why don't we, you know, now go into blah, 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 right? And so you might have a skeleton of an idea or a notion of what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, you tell your team members like, yeah, like just, just do it like this. <laughs> right? And then they're like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Um, so, you know, what I would say to that is build it like an agile process, right? Think about it in sprints um, and make sure that you're doing quick check-ins along the way because you might have an idea, provide examples of what you're thinking, right? Like if you're visual or your team is visual, examples are always great. If you have if you have a concept of what done looks like, you could show them, um, you know, what done looks like from others. Um, but if you're creating something completely new, um, start with phase one right? Phase it out. Okay, this is what we're thinking, phase one, you know, and then check in quickly because your phase one, which you haven't been able to explain well, um, and I know this happens to me, I'm like, sometimes, you know, what I'm thinking and what comes out of my mouth are very different. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you check in so that you can course correct quickly, right? Because what you don't want to do is be, you know, I don't know, 10, 50, 100 hours in billable, and it doesn't look like what you want it to look like at all, or non-billable, right? Because it's internal, and you haven't capitalized on it yet. So those quick check-ins and treating it like an agile process, um, or, you know, you take it like you're creating a product and you use that agile process for those things that are super nebulous, um, that actually gives you a great framework um, and a process within itself to create new processes. And I know that sounds a little meta, but it really works. No, and that's that's exactly how we've kind of approached it internally as well. It's It's understanding the difference between like, an SOP and a set of principles, right? It's like, we don't like, we don't actually really know how this is going to work, but we do know what it should produce. We do know what the outcome should be. So let's just start with documenting that. And then the how will become clear as we continue to iterate into your point. Service area is important at that stage, but it's understanding that like every process starts with negative value. A process is actually a debt until it's used and creates value. And the more detailed it is, it's just harder and slower to update. And so if we're making a bunch of assumptions, we're probably better off just not making them on paper and starting with the things that we do know. And then to your point, like the whole idea behind agile is you try something that's directionally accurate. Uh, you move closer to it and then you learn things along the way. And that's why you want to stop, talk about it, adjust, uh, you know, update the backlog and then sprint and sprint and sprint and repeat that until you arrive at the destination. So a couple of really good insights here. So breaking through that 1.3, 
to summarize what we've learned, it's about, obviously you have to have the people in place um, to offload the things that you otherwise would be doing uh, as a founder, and then making sure that there are some tools and systems in place to, to standardize the core of the business and start to create some horizontal consistency from one project to another, from one, um, you know, process to another, there, there starts to, to, things start to look similar from one project to the next. Um, anything else that we should be talking about before we move on to the next plateau at around the 3 million mark? Yeah. Um, I think it's something that you had mentioned, right? Especially around the consistency of your information. Um, and, and I have, um, a client who actually summarized it really well. Um, you know, we, we call it Tamara's triangle for documentation because her name is Tamara. Um, so your project management really gives you the what, right? Like what you need to do or what is being done. Um, and then you have your documents, usually, you know, whether it's Dropbox or um, Google or whatnot, which is giving you the where, right? Like where your your documents and your repeatable, you know, pieces and assets, um, your collateral is living. Um, and then you have your wiki um, or your internal knowledge base, however you want to call it, which is your how, right? And so that's where we're putting your SOPs, your communication guidelines, your principles, your policies, um, your procedures, right? And so if you have a consistent um, taxonomy naming convention across these three places, um, then your team doesn't have to you know, spend hours upon hours a week. I think it's like the average team spends three hours a week just looking for shit, um, right? Which is, you know, multiply that by all of your team members times what you're paying. And that's a lot of money. That's probably um, pretty conservative, to be honest. <laughs> I think so, right? Um, and so, so just being able to um, standardize and centralize how your information is being used as an organization is a huge, huge win. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to paraquito.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. I love it. So transitioning through that, we then break through, get to around that 3 million mark, which to your point is usually when we're starting to introduce kind of a first level of management. Uh, what are the obstacles that people run into at that stage and how do we break through them? Yeah. Yeah. And then you're hiring people sometimes from larger organizations who don't understand what it's like um, to run a business you know, with the wallet of, you know, cash is queen of a small business. Um, and, you know, and now you're having managers um, who you need to basically, they need to understand how to make decisions, um, look at the quality and have oversight the same way that you would. Um, and so that becomes really glitchy because now we need systems and processes for managers and decision making. Yeah. So th this is a really, really good one. We're starting to talk about 
decision making process and trying to get and this is really hard to conceptualize if you've never done it before um, and even for somebody that has done it before it's not an easy thing to do like you're sitting there you're thinking well i made this decision how can somebody else possibly understand like the what the thoughts that went through my head but it's possible you just have to go through the process of actually like stopping slowing down writing down step by step what are some of the tips you've got for people on how to once you have this list of things that okay these are some of the common decisions that i need to make when i wear this hat how do you then go about getting that into somebody else's mind or documenting it in such a way that it can be scaled beyond just what happens in your brain yeah absolutely and so you know um we did say we were going to get geeky with it right every decision is literally a decision tree that just happens in your brain, right? So if you can download um, that decision tree, it makes it a lot easier, right? So saying, okay, let's say we have, you know, three tiers of clients, right? So when something happens, right, what type of tier of client is it? Um, and then given the tier of client, you know, um, like, for example, is it in scope? Is it out of scope? Um, if something is out of scope, um, do you, you know, what's your budget for delighting the client saying like, okay, we could do this. Or what's your budget for saying like, no, we need a change order. Right. So really thinking through like, what is it that you're trying to fulfill on? Right. You know, based on your values as a business, um, what is the criteria around your decisions that you're making? Um, who should manage this, right? So is it your account manager? Is it your director of accounts? Is it your coordinator? Because um, you have an FAQ and all they need to do is send the FAQ, right? Like, so what level, you know, and what individual can manage this? Um, that's really important. And then also, you know, thinking through costs, because I think that piece is usually not thought of, right? Like, is this decision a $10 decision is it a thousand dollar decision or is it like a hundred thousand dollar decision right because that can that can very easily start to segment things for you like oh crap i need to take care of that or no this person can take care of that so so i think if you start to you know i mean i'm i'm big on like you know if you just lay it out you can start to see the patterns um and and then you can start to delegate it and you're like oh okay these pieces this person knows exactly how to do this let's just get them to download it and document it cool or like oh wow i really have not trained anybody on how to do this stuff right um and then segmenting some time on your calendar to figure out who's the right you know who are the right people and then create some training around it what I love about this exercise is I think it exposes, um, it's a really, really great forcing function to expose where the gaps might be in, for example, like uh, process or tooling or metrics in particular. So like a lot of the decisions that you would make as an owner will be based on like, for example, do we discount this deal that the client's pushing back on the price? Well, you're probably looking at your capacity forecast for next month to make that decision. Are we going to be busy? Are we going to be slow? That is largely going to determine whether or not you're willing to take that project on for less. What does the rest of the pipeline look like? But of course, writing that down in the decision tree and then realizing we actually don't have any good reporting for any of this stuff uh, should be a pretty good signal. It's like, well, that needs to get solved if we expect somebody else to be able to make a decision based on this information. They need to have access to the information and be able to access it in a timely way when they're making the decision. Uh, and so Similarly, like if there's documents or inputs or information about the project and there is no process around that information, 
that is now being used as criteria in the decision tree, I love this exercise because it should make it really apparent what needs to be true in order for somebody to actually be set up for success when being asked to make these kinds of decisions. Because I'm sure we see, you see that as much as I do, where we give somebody a title, we give them a responsibility, but we're not actually giving them any of the tools that they need to be successful in that role. And then we're surprised when they fail. Um, and of course, <laughs> we, we set them up for failure. Um, we just fail to see that a lot of the time. So I, I love this exercise of making the decision tree. It's a, it's a powerful one. Absolutely. And the, and the one thing that I would also caution, um, like team members and teams that are doing this is, um, your outliers because all owners have them, right? It's like things that do not make sense, except that it's in their head. It's not documented anywhere. And like people do not understand. Right. And so for example, like if we're going to give someone a discount, um, and sometimes the team is like, oh, why is that client? Like, you know, like they're always the outlier, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so it could be that having them on your portfolio just attracts clients. Right. And so they have this sort of show pony status, um, <laughs> right. Because they're, they're in your portfolio and it just, it's branding. Um, and so it, it lowers your acquisition it makes it faster, whatever. Right. And so in the owner's brain, they've, they've made that calculation, but they haven't shared it. Right. Or, this client that might be a total pain in the ass, right? Like they could be a PETA, but they refer you like 50% of your book of business, <laughs> right? And so, you know, eventually as, as we standardize and as we grow, we can start to eliminate these outliers, right? But as you're growing, um, you're documenting that as well as the other things, because those are the things that your team has no access to, um, that they can very easily make mistakes on. And you're like, ah, oh, crap, right? Because you didn't communicate it. And I think that level of transparency and that documentation is super important. Nerding out, I think we could nerd out for much longer. Juliana, it's been a lot of fun talking to you about this stuff. But for the listeners that want to learn more about you, consume more of the content that you're putting out into the world, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I know that running, growing, scaling an agency um, can be can be relatively hard. <laughs> um, and, and we also know that it doesn't have to be that hard, right? And so we have tons of resources. I'm really big on the idea that resources are the key to success. And so um, definitely you can join our newsletter where we have actionable quick tips for about five months if you join. And you can find that at scaletime.co forward slash podcast forward slash profit. Um, that'll be there. And I've got a five minute diagnostic so that you can see 50 operational gaps, which is pretty awesome. You can start to have a visual, almost like a heat map of your operation. And we send you fancy results within 24 hours. If you fill that out, which is awesome. Um, that's also going to be on the page. And if anything here resonated with you, um, and you want to jump on a call and have a deeper dive into what strategically your operational growth looks like, um, that's also going to be there at scaletime.co forward slash podcast forward slash profit. All right. So that link in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this, just scroll down. It'll be right there. And you can check out the resources that Julian's got for you over at scaletime.co. I'll also leave a link to your socials in there as well um, for those that want to follow you and learn more about what you're doing. So with that, any final words of advice for our listeners before we wrap up? Um, dirty drafts. 
Um, I would say, you know, get it done, get it dirty, put it out there, um, get feedback from clients, from the team, um, and, you know, really allow progress to beat perfectionism. Mm. Progress over perfection. I like it. Some wise words to end on. So with that, Juliana, thank you for making time for us today. And wherever you are listening to this, if you're listening at home, at the gym, in the car, Maybe you're, I don't know, behind your fridge cleaning or something. I don't know what you're doing. But wherever you are, if you learn something from today's episode, let us know. Reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Leave a comment. Send us an email. Hit Julian up on LinkedIn. Get in touch with us and let us know what you are learning from the show, what you're finding valuable. And with that, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.